Welcome to the Boost Podcast with Kelly Leonard, the podcast providing you with immediate access to tools, tips, and tactics to boost your business and career success. Build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and tap into new markets. It's the Boost Podcast. And now, here's Kelly Leonard. Happy New Year and welcome to the Boost Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Leonard. Let's jumpstart the new year by taking a little walk down memory lane. For longtime Boost Podcast listeners, the names Susan Bork and Dee Bowden should sound pretty familiar. Susan is the principal of Bork Works and was featured in episode 67. Dee is the founder of BCS Solutions and was featured in episode 72. Well, in this episode of the podcast, Susan, Dee, and I chat about navigating challenging negotiations. If you've ever wanted to fine-tune your negotiation skills, you will absolutely want to listen to this conversation because you will find it super enlightening. The parts of Boost that we tackle are optimized relationships and tap into new markets. Let's listen in. Welcome, ladies. Good morning. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Good morning. And glad to have you, glad to have you both here. Susan, let's jump, uh, jump right into the topic and Start with a question with you. How would you, in very simple terms, define negotiation? Well, I would say that any the opportunity to negotiate occurs when one person makes a request of another person, and the negotiation evolves or doesn't from the response to that request. Gotcha. So, Susan, and I know you bring a rich background and 30-plus years of experience around this very important topic. Would you say that there are a few really essential elements that you consider necessary in order to like sort of navigate negotiation success? Absolutely. I think um, I would say, you know, like the old real estate joke that says, you know, what's the secret to real estate location, location, location. For me, one of the key secrets to negotiating effectively is preparation, preparation, preparation. You really have to invest and make time for preparation, also to do it effectively. The other real essential element of effective negotiating is focusing on your counterparty, really doing that, both in terms of the preparation you do and also when you're actually engaging with your counterparty. Great. Thank you for that. And then, so Dee, let's let's have you jump into this conversation because you have a rich background and experience around negotiation as well. Are there additional elements sort of specific to negotiation, negotiating cash collections, because I know that's your area of expertise that you think are essential (laughs) in this process. Yeah, great question, Kelly. Uh, Absolutely. So when it comes to cash collections, number one, I believe that number one, you have to have a conversation. You can't even begin to plan to negotiate until we talk. So for example, if if I have to collect on on behalf of a client, say $10,000, before I can even start start the negotiations, I have to understand the problem, number one. And then number two, we have to set up a plan. So if, you, if you're not paying the full amount, what can you do? And then we have to work out what's going to be comfortable for, for the client. And then for me, because I'm working on behalf of the client to collect the money. But definitely, you cannot start negotiations for collecting cash without having a conversation, number one. And then number two, you actually have to solve the problem, which is answer this question. What had happened was that's how we start. Gotcha. Thanks for that. And so when you even chat about the fact that you need to understand the problem, I'd imagine because you have at least two parties that are involved in this negotiation, right? And so is there this 
um, agreement that needs to be reached in terms of what the actual problem is, because I'd imagine because you have two different people, if I'm the collector, the problem is X. If I'm the recipient of that cash, the problem is something entirely different. And so how do you have that that reckoning, that meeting of the minds, if you will? Great question. So the way I do it is this. We're, we're going to, just like we're sitting here today, we're going to have a, a round table, if you will. I'm going to talk to the first person and, and ask the question. So to, uh, it's, it's answering this question. What had happened was, why are we here? And then the client's going to tell me, well, I did, I provided a service, I provided a product, and I haven't gotten paid. And then the person who owes the money is going to come back and say, well, we had some problems with how you did the service. And so we, we're holding up the money until you resolve the problem. But here's the thing. Both parties aren't talking and you can't solve anything. You can't negotiate anything until you start talking. Like I said, you have to figure out what was the breakdown. I like to call it this way, this way. What was the disconnect? Why didn't you pay? So we have to answer that question. And then if you won't accept, if you can't make a full payment, what can you accept or what will you accept? And then you still have to talk about it because even let's say if it's $10,000 and you don't have $10,000 to pay in full, what would work to your advantage would you accept say half would you accept like you know take ten thousand dollars divided by three and then say okay i'll give you this much this you know today and then 30 days another payment and 30 days another payment but even before you do that you still have to talk you still have to address the problem of what had happened was number one and then number two how do we fix this disconnect so that number 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 three the relationships aren't messed up and so what you're sharing sounds a lot like I know one of the things that Susan initially mentioned, it's all about preparation, preparation, preparation. And so from each of your perspectives, what does that preparation look like? Um, is it that you're actually, I'm not even going to ask it, What does preparation look like? Share that with me, Susan. Well, I always think, I mean, preparation occurs sort of on a meta level as well as on a specific level. And so on the on the big level, it's understanding that negotiate, being a good negotiator, an effective negotiator is a learnable skill. So with any learnable skill, you want to break it down into sort of the elements that you learn, that you build upon, sort of those little skills that you build upon to develop a, a repertoire or an array of skills. You know, so you're breaking it down and then practicing skills, because the only way you get better at something, the only way you get better at negotiating is practicing. So you can practice it. And I always you know, tell people, practice in low stakes situations. If what you're afraid of is getting a no, then go you know, find ways to ask for little things so that you can get used to hearing no. So you go into your favorite coffee shop on a Friday and you're like, hey, it's Friday. Can I get a free cookie with my coffee? You know, you're not expecting to get a yes to that. You're expecting a no. And, and you don't have to be upset or, you know, right, because you're not expecting to get a yes. Um, so you're not putting undue pressure on your relationship with the barista, the server, that kind of thing. So it's it's finding ways to get used to that if that's where you have, you know, a f- have friction. At the same time, the other part of preparation is specific preparation. So for the negotiation itself, like what Dee was saying, you know, you want to think about why why isn't this person paying me, for example? What might be some of the reasons? You know, maybe they don't have the money. Maybe they're unhappy with what I delivered. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a little bit of both. So those kinds of things uh, go into preparation. You want to think about the specific situation and really try and take, you know, what am I trying to get out of this? Is the relationship more important than the money? Is the money more important than the relationship? How can I leverage, you know, a better relationship and still get money? 
um, or in any negotiation, what am I trying to accomplish? And what does my counterparty need out of this? I hope that's that gives you some idea. Yeah, and hey and Kelly, so can I jump in and I add do. something to that? Yeah, absolutely, D. Absolutely. Oh, thanks. I was gonna say, Susan, great points because that's that's so true. Um, because I do because I do rev- revenue recovery. The relationship for me, I'm all. I always talk about it this way. It's important to do two things. It's important to deliver good products and good service, but it's also just as important to ma- maintain the relationship. And I think that's the part because, and sometimes this way, collections can can get a bad rap because most people think about collections. They think about people that are are aggressive and they're not thinking about the relationship. But when, in business, business is relationships. And even when you have you um, deliver your product, deliver your service, you still have to maintain that relationship. When I was mentioned earlier about the disconnect, it's you know, preparation is okay. When, when I haven't been paid, how do I prepare to go talk to this client to ask them, you know, answer this question? What had happened was, or why, why, why aren't you happy? And then I've got to be prepared to take notes and ask them, okay, what, what could we have done better? Where did we miss it? And do we have a chance to do what I call course correction? Can we fix this so that number one, you will pay us. And number two, we don't mess with this relationship. Cause I think people forget that part in business because it's so easy to go, um, they're just a customer, blow it off and do that. I'm like, no. Not, not in my world. I, I mean, maybe in other people's worlds they do that, but no. Relationships are everything, and how you handle how you handle the preparation, how you handle the negotiation, how you handle making sure. Basically, the goal is always to set up a win-win. That's that's how that's the, the place I come from. It's always trying to figure out how can we answer the what had happened was, and how how do we go from what had happened was to how do we win. That makes complete sense. And so are you suggesting that in certain negotiations, as it pertains to cash collections, there may be instances where you're going to accept a partial payment? Because what even does that look like when you have delivered a product or service and you're standing behind it and you know that you delivered quality, but then there's this disconnect? So, you know, I hear relationship preservation, and I think that is extremely important. Mm And then on the other hand, you also know that some folks just aren't or they may not be in the business of uh, making payments in full. Because at the end of the day, you like to think good in all people, but there are just some right. folks who perhaps never intended to pay you <laughs> in full. So so what yeah. does that even look like, navigating those sort of tense um, sort of negotiations around cash collections in particular? Great question. So. The way it works for me is this. We're going to have a conversation and I need to, first of all, address the fact that we provide the product or service, number one. Number two, when we have the conversation, you're going to tell me, hey, D, um, I'm, I'm not able to make this full payment. Now, of course, I may have a moment and go, well, why? Because when we when we negotiated the contract, you agreed. You know, you ordered 10 sets of sneakers. I delivered 10 sets, I delivered 10 sets of sneakers. You're supposed to pay me for my sneakers. Now, because relate, because I talk about relationship, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the relationship business. So along with recovering money. So for me, the negotiation would be like this. All right. It was a $10,000 order. We delivered the product. We delivered the service. You're not able to make the payment. What can we do? And then I have to wait to hear what your response is and what, what is your counter offer? So if you, if I charge you 10,000 and you can't pay me my full 10, what can you do? And then I have to decide, am I willing to take this loss and and accept the partial payment? Because I'd rather, I've, I'm, I'm, a, I'm old school. I believe that some money is better than no money. So yes, am I taking a loss in this $10,000 deal? Absolutely. But I'll take some money. So if you come me, you, you counter offer, you say, okay, I can't pay 10. What can you do? 
oh, we can, I can do, let's say it's $8,000. Okay, fine. Can we take the $8,000 and split it over three payments? I would say yes to that because I'm not, I'm not going to lose, I'm losing 2000 versus 10. Mm-hmm. So I, that makes I, sense. I just that makes jump. Sorry. If I could jump in a minute on Please. that, Go for it, I think there's another angle yes. to it. And I think you've implied it, D. I think sometimes it helps to have these, and I'm sure you have this discussion explicitly with your clients, but it's understanding what is each party going to do if there's no agreement, right? So if, if somebody's being very, you know, I don't have the money, I can't pay, you know, they're being very uh, rigid about it. You know, one of the things you have to have the conversation with your client is what are you going to do if we, you know, what's our alternative? What are we doing if there's no agreement, if we can't get anything? Um, Mm -hmm. And it may be going to court. It may, you know, it may be um, going to the Better Business Bureau. You know, there may be or maybe going to a a different person in the organization. Right. There are all Mm -hmm. there are sort of all these other things you can do if you can't reach agreement right then and there. The other possibility is understanding what this other person's going to do if there's no agreement. What is your counterparty going to do? So, um, you know, are they willing to to know and take on the fact that they, you know, they'll keep they'll keep some money or they'll keep the things you've delivered. But they're you know, you may be able to to do something that diminishes their ability to make effective use of that product or service. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you may still be holding something pending final payment. So they're really unable to use it until you reach some kind of agreement, solve that problem. As you said, fix that, you know, connect, reconnect wherever the disconnect is. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a good point. I feel like, I feel like that's so important. I feel like people miss that because again, relationships, but most important, like you said, Susan, I mean, you actually, you summarize it perfectly. That's, I don't have anything else to add to that. That was well, well said. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, and Susan, a part of what you said as well is focusing on the counterpart. You know, we talked about preparation, focus on the counterpart. How in this world, and and maybe I'm taking it literal in terms of the focus, but let's talk about this environment that we're in right now around COVID. And so how does um, the fact that so many folks are continuing to work in these remote spaces um, share with me what does focusing on the counterpart look like um, when you bring the fact that so many of us are virtual in this conversation? Because I'd imagine our first choice or the optimal solution would be to meet one-on-one with someone when you're negotiating with them in person. Uh, but now that so many of us are operating inside of the box, right, what what, how does that change negotiation? So Susan, why don't you kick us off? And then uh, Dee, if you want to share your thoughts on virtual negotiations as well, that'd be great. Well, thank you. Um, I actually think Dee has, I, I'm very interested here because I think Dee's been doing a lot of this. Uh, I've been, what I've seen is in the past, you're right. Best was a face-to-face meeting because then you get all the input, the body language, the, you know, the visual, the verbal, all of that. And that's terrific. Uh, the second thing is, when you, you know, the second alternative used to be the telephone, right? Because then you'd still get some audio feedback. You could hear somebody's tone of voice, whether it changed or not. And then, of course, the third was email. And it's not that these are mutually exclusive, but and, and there are different ways and different times to use them. So being in a, on a video platform is somewhere between telephone and in person, right? You're getting more <laughs> feedback, but there can be um, technical issues, 
right? You're not, it's, it's, it's not as clear. There can be a lag. And so for all those reasons, when you're, when you're negotiating with somebody, you both want to be able, be willing to give them grace, you know, to, to, as Mm -hmm. D says, think the best of them, but also establish boundaries and accountability so that they're not taking advantage of you. So you can suss out if somebody's reluctance or resistance is good faith, or if it's, you know, if it's posturing. So that, that becomes important. The other thing I'd say about nego- virtual negotiating, especially on platforms, is at least my experience is things take more time. So, mm-hmm. you know, the same expectations that I might have for an in-person half hour meeting of what I can accomplish um, is more challenging on a, on a video platform. So what that may mean is that I do more preparation by email, you know, be clear about what the agenda is, be clear about what the priorities are so that if we're not going to be able to get through all of them in the set time, we at least have gotten, we've agreed upon what the most important one discussions to have are and we've had them. Okay. Let me turn that over to D. Sorry to take up all that time. <laughs> no, no problem, Susan. I think first of all, great question. So personal negotiations, I'm like Susan, I'm old school. I'm used to doing it. I'm used to doing it in person. Now, I have to do an email. Then I got to do a follow-up email. Then I need to do, I still get on the phone. Like I, I, I do a lot of my negotiations, my, a lot of my negotiations and conversations. I'm still on the phone and I'm still doing email. And here's the thing, even in email, you have to be clear with what you're, what you're saying, your tone. And cause mm. you can say something in an email and you know how you meant it. And then it got delivered and, you, and it, it, it didn't get received correctly. Then you got to go back and fix that part. So I think virtually you have to spend even, even more time double checking what you're saying, how you're saying it. And then if, if something got misconstrued, then you need to get on. I, like I said, I'm old school. I, we're going to get on the phone. If I said something that didn't come across correctly, or you misinterpreted what I was mm-hmm. trying to say, or the point I was trying to make, I'm old school. Let's go on the phone. I say it this way. You can't solve everything in 144 characters. <laughs> right. Everything cannot be solved in 144 characters. I know that people love to text and say, okay, say this. And even in your text, you can say something and you hit the little emoji and they're like, what does that mean? And you're like, no. <laughs> so we have, you have to have the, the emails, the follow-up email, the phone call. And then obviously if that's not working, then it's okay. Here's a link to, here's a calendar link to my, to Zoom. Let's talk. And if obviously, if, if you're able to, you know, to Susan's point, if you're able to meet in person safely, then meet in person safely. Obviously, you know, six feet and mask up and all the things, but you still eventually still have to have a conversation, regardless if you do it video, text, or phone. So, in other words, I can't text you with like the money bag symbol. Because <laughs> I'm going to ask you, what does that, that mean? Because my first question is going to be like, well, th- okay, okay, because my question, okay, if you text me with the money, money bag symbol, I'm thinking, okay, is that, is, my follow up question is, okay, are you paying me? Is this, is this a sign that you're paying me? Great. Yes. Let's celebrate that part. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But you know, but so, so deep, but to that, or either of you, to that point, even if we meet in person now, like a part of me wonders, wouldn't virtual even be better than in person? Because at least virtual, if I'm on camera, if I'm on Zoom, I can take my mask off as opposed to if I'm in person, then I may then keep my mask on and then I'm missing the facial expressions and all those other things. So, so like talk us through that whole process. Like it seems like zoom would be the preference unless both people are able to remove their masks. 
Well, Zoom is definitely de- Zoom is definitely the the preference. But there, even with Zoom, I mean, you we, right right now we're inside this little box. You're seeing my expressions, and but then you still may have more questions. And there's there's I think I guess maybe it's just that 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 connection with people. There's something about when you get to meet up in person and have that conversation. You get to you get to feel the energy. You can you can assume some things on, about me based on how I am in the camera, but when when we're face to face, you can tell. And I think think there's just something that's just different about that. Now, obviously, you know, with COVID, um, safety is first. If you're not comfortable meeting in person, obviously, it's a Zoom call. We're gonna do we're gonna do this, and you still have to apply the same things. You still have to prepare. You still have to do the emails. You still have to ask the questions, and you still have to come up with a plan. When we finish this con- when we finish this meeting, what are we going to get done? And and then and then and then you have to you know like old school you have to type up type up your minutes and say okay this is what we discussed we agreed on this we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this and then we sk- we schedule it schedule the time the time the plan the date and the, when the money's supposed to be received and then there's then there's a follow up because that's a that's possible possible I'm sorry that's also part of negotiations which is that you you set the negotiation you plan everything you uh, agree on on the terms and then you have, actually have to follow up to make sure it actually. Now, and, and I would be remiss if I, we keep throwing out the word Zoom. We know any virtual, any video platform, right? Right, right, I think right, we've, right. we've reduced every video platform to just say Zoom. And we know like whatever video platform um, that you may be using would be an acceptable medium in which to have these conversations. Now, what about this? Like, so from both of your perspectives, how much time do you allow? Like if you know that uh, a client was supposed to pay you on, uh, I don't know, the 15th of the month, on what day do you follow up? Because that's another thing that I think small businesses in particular struggle with to say, okay, well, I don't be, I don't want to be a nag. Um, but then on the flip side, it's like, yeah, but you're owed that money also. So how much time um, is the best practice to allow um, to elapse between the the deadline of when that payment was due and you you know picking up the phone or sending that gentle reminder email things like that. So so share some of those best best practices with us. Well, my best practice is this: if we if we had a, if we had a, if a payment was missed, I'm 48 hours because I'm gonna I'm gonna do what Susan said. I'm gonna give you grace. I'm gonna assume that you you either you forgot or it something happened, but. In 48 hours, I'm on the phone. We're doing a follow-up phone call. We're doing a follow-up email, and then it's 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 the conversation. You know, hi, this is D. I'm calling on behalf of such and such um, you know, client, such an account. Can I speak to the person accounts payable, please? Oh, hey, D. This is what's going on. Well, listen, I, my payment didn't come through. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, before we get into the payment, can we review all the things and make sure that? The invoice was prepared properly. You sent it to the right department. You have the the remittance address on their uh, remittance payment, how things supposed to get paid. And you confirm all those things because sometimes the payment is missed because the information on the invoice is wrong. And then the person in the accounts payable is not necessarily, you know, checking everything. That's your responsibility to make sure that you you prepared a proper invoice when you submitted it. And so if something happened, it's your responsibility to do the follow-up and go through and confirm that everything was submitted correctly and that, you know, there aren't any issues. And if there's an issue that is is blocking or stopping the payment, address it, take the notes so you can fix it. And that's, that's, those are the things that we're going So yeah, 48 hours. Wow. That's, you know, I'm surprised that it's that short. I'm sure this is going to be like an epiphany and a relief to so many people who are viewing because 
I thought that you were going to say, oh, a week, two weeks, 10 days, but 48 hours, that's, that's a really quick turnaround. And I also appreciate in your approach that you're assuming the best, right? It's not like you're on the phone and like, where's my payment? (laughs) It's like, certainly there must be some sort of error, perhaps on my part. So let's go through and check the box to make sure that I had all of the remittance information correct, um, that I sent it to the correct place, that you have everything that you need in order to process that payment. So I definitely appreciate the way that, um, that you're expecting and assuming the best in that other person. You know, Susan, let me ask you this because I know we've spent a lot of time talking about collecting cash or negotiating cash collections. What are some other areas that you've seen businesses needing to um, understand how to successfully navigate challenging negotiations? So I think on the business side, it tends to happen on two levels. One is that initial negotiation, right? That initial establishing that initial relationship. And I, I, you know, I think often the way that first negotiation goes can be indicative of how the relationship will go in the future. And that doesn't mean that if somebody's a difficult or challenging negotiator, you know, because they're very specific, they want everything pinned down, all those things can be really good. Um, and, and you can then use that to develop a strong relationship, which is going to bear help you with w- the second negotiation, so to speak. And that is the fact that no matter how thorough you are, no matter you know how much you pin all the details down, one of two things or both is going to happen. Either you some, you will leave some somebody will leave something out, right? No matter how much you try, there's something got left out that you have to deal with down the road, or something unexpected happens. COVID, you know, whatever, something Mm. unexpected arises in the environment and you need to negotiate some kind of change. So that's sort of that second negotiation. And if you shy away from that thing, whether it's a client, you know, asking for some additional work that they see possibly is in scope or very close, you know, it's easy, right? Can you do this? It'll just take you a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, and you being able to say in a relationship constructive way, you know, it may seem like that should just take a minute, but actually that would be, you know, an hour of my, so my social media director's time or, or whatever, you know, it's actually additional time. I think small businesses in particular are often very anxious about, about, you know, setting those boundaries. They make such a difference though. Dee, what do you think? Oh, I totally agree with you. And I also think that, I think two things. One, um, the boundaries are definitely important. Number two, um, when you, for a small business, when you get when you get that first client, it's like, oh my gosh, I want, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited I got that first client. I want to do everything well. And you end up doing a lot more than than what was in that scope. And here's the thing, you won't, you won't learn how to, how to, how to negotiate better until you actually have more experience. Sometimes it's, you know, you, you learn through experience. Sometimes if you're a small business owner and you, you like I said, you, you get that first client, you're you're jumping through hoops, you're doing all the things. And then you realize when after you take a step back, you're like, ooh, I didn't have to do all those things. I should have said, no, I can do this and stick to the scope. And then if there's additional things, that means we need to modify the contract. Um, we need to plan out. We need to have an additional conversations because if you want more of my services, more of my time, more things, it's going to cost you this. And that's, you know, that's that's where that's where your strength comes from is being able to stand up for yourself and negotiate that you are your time and your, your products or your services are worth more and to be able to ask for it and stand in that confidence. And that takes time. Well, this was, this is, this is great ladies. Um, as we close our time together, 
What is, and we'll start with Susan, what is your best tip um, to help our listeners today navigate negotiations with a difficult person or a challenging situation? So what's your one best tip or key takeaway from today? Focus on listening. And so actually there is something to be said for an in-person, in-person meeting, even with masks, because what you're going to have to do, especially if somebody's wearing a mask, is really listen to what they're saying and to look first to understand rather than to be always thinking about how you're going to reply. Awesome. Thanks for that. And how about you, Dee? What's your best tip? Best tip, write things down. Write things down. You know, because even though you may have a great memory, <laughs> you you know, you forget things. You know, I, I my best tip is this. Listen, like Susan said, number one. Number two, write things down. And then repeat it back to the person and make sure you captured all the things so that you, you, were, you both of you were clear before you leave the meeting. Well, well, my best tip is experience is a good teacher. So if you are, yeah. you know, a barista at a local Starbucks, look out because I'm coming for that free cookie today. <laughs> Thank you, Dee. Thank you, Susan. Thank you both so much for your time. Well, that concludes this episode of the Boost Podcast. Thank you again for listening in. If you don't mind, if you could like, subscribe, or share the podcast with a friend, I would greatly appreciate it. For more information on anything Boost related, you can visit our website at www.kellytleonard.com. Thank you.